Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are going to be talking to Ari Shapiro, yes, the one from All Things Considered, about his new book, The Best Strangers in the World, Stories from a Life Spent Listening. In it, Ari talks about his life growing up here in Portland and also all the adventures he's had around the world as a journalist. Also, he has some tips on how to calm one's nerves when one is about to go on stage at the Hollywood Bowl in front of like 18,000 people to perform with the band Pink Martini. Then comedian, writer, and performer Demi Adigi eBay will make his triumphant Livewire return. We're going to talk to him about the ongoing writer's strike and what that's been like for him. Plus, he's going to perform a song that he wrote just for us. So that is the plan. It's going to be a great show. Don't go anywhere. Livewire gets started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going all right. I have some intrusive cat energy here in this room (laughs) where I'm recording from. So we're going to try to keep Bubbles Burbank at bay. Maybe she's like Lucille Ball. She's like, why don't you put me in the show? (laughs) I know, right? I'm mentioning her enough as it is, but uh, are you ready for a little station location identification examination? Oh, yeah. This is where I quiz Elena about a place in the country where Livewire is on the radio. She's got to guess where I am talking about. All right. This city is located on Bear Lake which many folks call the Rocky Mountain Caribbean because of the blue waters of Bear Lake. Mm. Well, that's a good geographical indicator, Mm -hmm. but it only narrows it down to like five states. (laughs) Uh, This will help you. This will zero you in on the state, I believe. The city was founded by Mormon settlers in 1859. Is it Provo, Utah? It is in Utah. It's not Provo, and it's not Salt Lake City. So Logan, Utah. Logan, Utah is exactly (laughs) right. Wow, that was an effective hint I gave you. We are on the radio on Utah Public Radio on KUSR. They're in beautiful Logan, Utah. All right, are you ready to get to the show? Let's do it. All right, take it away. From PRX, it's... This week, radio journalist and author Ari Shapiro. 
There are very specific chapters in here for the Jews, the gays, the music fans, the journalists, <laughs> the political junkies, the international affairs people. I was like, I can flag a chapter. Like, if you're a Jew, read this one. <laughs> and comedian and writer Demi Adigeibe. I don't know when this happened, but I feel like there's been this shift in so much stuff that as a kid was like shorthand for nerd stuff that now is like, well, all the cool kids are going to the Renaissance Fair. With music from our fabulous house band. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Lou Burbank. Thank you, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in from all over the country, including beautiful Logan, Utah. We have a really fun, interesting show in store for you all this week. Of course, we've asked the Livewire listeners a question. We asked, what is the best stranger you've ever met? Could you tell us about that person? This is related to Ari Shapiro's uh, really fascinating book about his time as a journalist. We're going to read those responses coming up in a few moments. First, though, we got to kick things off with the best news we heard all week. This, of course, is our little reminder at the top of the show. There is some good news happening out there in the world. Elena, what is the best news you heard all week? Oh, this news comes from Texas Hill Country. When I lived there, I used to go on Sunday drives through the Hill Country, and that is exactly what happened 30 years ago when Ronnie and Terry Urbanchik, uh, Ronnie runs a concrete company in San Antonio, they were taking a Sunday drive through the Hill Country, and they saw a for sale sign This beautiful stretch of land, 250 acres with live oaks, and it swooped down to the Guadalupe River, and there was a gorgeous creek on the property called Honey Creek, and so they decided to buy it. They moved their whole family out there. I think there's like five of them, and they lived in a 600-square-foot house. And slowly but surely, they added more and more land to their property so that now they have uh, over 750 acres. And it sort of backs up to a natural area and a state park. And they had this idea that they could take care of their family for generations if they built a big subdivision on it. Because as you probably know, both San Antonio and Austin are really spreading into the hill country. Yes. So they tried to do that. Uh, There's like a 2,400 home subdivision. And they ran into a lot of environmental issues because they didn't know this, but they learned that the, that watershed, that creek, that river, it's just super pristine. It's also very important that it get protected for the natural flora and fauna that live there, like the golden-cheeked warbler and the blind salamander. <laughs> the golden-cheeked warbler definitely sounds like something you would write an article for the Audubon magazine about. I thought they won the NBA championships, the golden-cheeked <laughs> warblers. But uh, but yeah, so they ran into all these issues. And then the Texas Park and Wildlife and the Nature Conservancy started working together, and they got the Urbanchik family to agree to sell the land to them. Mm. And they sold it at a fifth of what they would make had they sold it to developers. Wow. It will join the natural area and the state park to make this massive 5,000-acre state park with a ton of public use. There's an underground river and caves, and they were a little worried because, you know, their children had grown up in this area, and it was kind of their legacy, and they called the kids, and they were like, well, it'd be okay if we didn't make this major deal, and the kids told them, quote, how much money does somebody need? 
Because <laughs> a fifth of the sale price is still like $25 million. Okay. Uh, even happier news, their backyard is now like the prettiest park in the world. And the Texas legislature just passed a billion-dollar allotment for buying new parkland. So all y'all Texans out there who are thinking about putting up another Home Depot or whatever, you might try to work with these national organizations because they mm-hmm. can make something even more beautiful, even more lasting, and that something that does even more good for public interest. It's actually kind of coincidental, Elena, that you're talking about these conservancies and land trusts because a place where I help out every year with some hosting duties is the Jefferson County Land Trust up in Jefferson County, Washington, Mm. where they do really great work working with landowners and others to preserve those natural corridors and stuff. And the best news that I saw this week also comes out of Jefferson County, specifically my old stomps of Port Townsend, Washington, where I don't think there's a more lovely place to be on a sunny summer day than Port Townsend, Washington. Mm -hmm. The thing is, one of the main ways to get there is on this ferry that goes from another place called Coopville Mm -hmm. and comes on over to Port Townsend. And a bunch of folks were enjoying Port Townsend recently, and some of them had walked onto the ferry and then been tooling around Port Townsend. When they got back to the ferry terminal, they learned that because of some weather stuff, all of the return trips back to where their cars and their campsites and their hotels were, were canceled. (laughs) And so because it was a beautiful summer day in Port Townsend, everything was booked. They called the hotels, they called the Airbnbs, uh, they called the sheriff's department, (laughs) and they also called the YMCA, which I used to live in Port Townsend. I don't think I even knew we had a YMCA and they could not find anywhere to stay. Um, And they were really despairing because they were thinking about just trying to sleep in the like little waiting area for the ferry, which it turns out is not allowed. The Washington State Ferries wanted to clarify that. So enter William B.G. Patterson and his wife, Ariana Patterson, who he had just called to ask if it would be okay with her if he brought home some some stranded passengers that were people right (laughs) honey would it be okay if i brought home 10 people who were trapped here waiting for the ferry she said yes so he brings them home now one of the problems was uh they have two bathrooms one of them was under construction so the only way to get to the one functioning bathroom was to go through their bedroom (laughs) and they just (laughs) they just said to everyone we don't mind if you don't and everybody just like just made their peace with it and just, you know, <laughs> got some blankets. They threw out some, you know, pads and some people were on the floor. Some people were on couches. The next morning, BG gets up real early and then goes down to the restaurant that he and Ariana have owned for all these years. Oh. One of my favorite places out there in Chimicum, it's called Farms Reach Cafe. He goes down to Farms Reach, whips up some uh, pastries and makes a big pot of coffee and brings it back. Everybody gets up and gets their pastries and their coffee and they get back in the car and they head back to the ferry terminal, which mercifully now was functioning. Oh, good. And they all got on the boat and got back on to wherever they were going. Oh, bless his heart. That's amazing. I know. So people taking care of other people in my old hometown of Port Townsend, Washington. That's the best news that I heard this week. All right, let's get our first guest on over here. You're probably used to hearing their voice on this very radio station because he is, of course, one of the hosts of NPR's afternoon program, 
All Things Considered. His first book, The Best Strangers in the World, Stories from a Life Spent Listening, details his time traveling on Air Force One with President Obama, following the path of Syrian refugees, fleeing war, and also what it's like to sing in front of 18,000 people at the Hollywood Bowl with the music group Pink Martini, because let me tell you, this guy has range. Take a listen to our conversation with Ari Shapiro, recorded live at the Alberta Rose Theater right here in Portland. You all look nothing like what I imagined either. <laughs> uh, that old radio line. It's so nice to see it's, you. Uh, you know, the last time you and I saw each other, neither of us had gray hair. I know, but you somehow are so much more well-preserved than I am. Like, And yet you're much more well-dressed than I am, which as I'm we all know to, matters a lot on the, the radio. It's the corset, really, I think. <laughs> It is really nice to see you, Ari. You and I worked at NPR together a long time ago, and we're kind of sort of both young reporters trying to find a full-time job there yeah. and kind of make it work. And Filling in for this, this person on maternity leave, yeah. that person on an academic fellowship, just kind of popping in wherever we could. Those yeah. parts of the book, and by the way, there's something for everyone in this book, but the parts that were specifically <laughs> about being a reporter at NPR trying to find a budget line, that really spoke to me. So thank you for that. <laughs> it's funny, as I was working on the book and having conversations about who it would appeal to, I said, you know, I want this to be a book for everyone, but also there are very specific chapters in here for the Jews, the gays, the music fans, the journalists, the political junkies, the international affairs people. I was like, so, like, I can flag a chapter. Like, if you're a Jew, read this one. If, 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 you're, if you're a music fan, read that one. Yeah. I was curious, though, when I started reading it, because you are a real journalist. You're one of the hosts of air All Things Air quotes around cons- real. I want the radio audience to know I did not put air quotes around real. <laughs> I pointed at Ari so everyone knew who I was talking to. But, like, you're a real journalist, so did you have to be careful about sort of what you put in this book? Oh, totally. I mean, like, there's one chapter, speaking of Jews, uh, there's one chapter that I titled The Third Rail of Journalism, and it's all about covering the war in Israel. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, like, every journalist knows that if you're reporting on Israel, there's, you're, you can't win. Like, you are walking into something where people will be furious at you no matter what you do. And so I thought, Ari, are you really not only writing a chapter in this book about covering Israel, but writing about your personal experience and perspective on covering Israel as a Jew? Like, what are you thinking? (laughs) And there were a lot of moments like that. You know, I talk about in 2004, my husband and I got married when... San Francisco Mayor Gavin Newsom, he's now the governor of California, but he was then mayor of San Francisco, and he just decided he was going to start doing same-sex marriages, which was a huge national controversy at the time. And my now husband, who had been my college boyfriend and I, wanted to go get married. And, you know, you and I were both beginning journalists back in those days. And it's like you're stepping into the middle of the culture wars and participating in them rather than chronicling them, which is what we as journalists think we're supposed to be doing. And so it felt really kind of uncomfortable and foreign and strange writing this memoir where I'm revisiting some of these experiences and talking about it from the inside looking out. Uh, You write in the book that uh, you came out while you were a student at Beaverton High School, Mm -hmm. right here in the greater Portland, Oregon area, and that you might have been possibly the first student to have done so. I mean, I have no way of confirming. I don't know if there were out students prior to my senior year in 1995. 
I wasn't aware of any. There weren't any at the time that I was there. But what there was in Portland, Oregon in the 90s was the City Nightclub, <laughs> which some of you may be aware was, I believe at the time, the only all-ages gay club in the United States. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, so like my friends and I would go there just doused in CK1. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned that in the book, and... It hurt because I stopped wearing CK1 like four years ago. <laughs> like, that was a punchline in the book, and I saw way too much of myself. Well, you know, in the book, I described it as the non-binary scent of the 90s, but we didn't even have that term. Right. It, was, it was the unisex right. scent of the yeah. 90s. Right. Uh, we have to take a quick break here on Livewire. Uh, we're talking to Ari Shapiro. His uh, book is The Best Strangers in the World. This is Livewire coming to you from the Alberta Rose Theater. Stay with us. We'll be right back in a moment. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we we are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content, uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing, that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels it does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. We're at the Alberta Rose Theater in Portland. Uh, this week we're talking to Ari Shapiro from NPR's All Things Considered. He has a book out, The Best Strangers in the World, Stories from a Life Spent uh, Listening. Do you feel like there is, you're from Portland, is there a Portlandness to how you approach journalism, how you approach, uh, you know, your singing career? Just like, did this place infuse you with, with anything that you carry with you? Well, Portland taught me how to relate to people who are different from me. You know, especially after I came out in 1995, I started going to this queer youth group where suddenly I was surrounded by people who might have been struggling with addiction or homelessness or doing sex work to get by or like way, way outside of my suburban bubble of privilege. And being able to kind of walk between those worlds and on the weekends hang out with like, you know, the gutter punks and the 
Butch Baby Bull Dyke Gang, and like those were my posse <laughs> on the weekends. And then on maybe weekdays, the first time Butch Baby Bull Dyke Gang has ever been said on Livewire. <laughs> you know, there was a girl in that gang who everyone called Julie the Junkie. And she gave me a leather dog collar and wrist cuff as like a sign of protection mm. that I still have to this day. Aww. It's true. Um, and so I feel like being able to walk between worlds, go from that world on the weekends to kind of my schedule of AP classes in my big suburban white high school on the weekdays, that taught me something about kind of being an ambassador and a translator that I use as a journalist now for groups that I don't necessarily have any personal connection to. But if I'm going into Zimbabwe to a presidential election rally, or I'm going to a Bikers for Trump rally, or I'm going to a refugee crisis, like those skills of walking between worlds are something that I picked up in Portland that I use every day as a journalist. Mm. Something else you mentioned in this book. Yeah, I think that's worth a round of applause. He doesn't get that at his real job at NPR. I don't There's get nobody... to hear people clap when I'm on the radio. Aww. The producers of All Things Considered don't come in and <laughs> applaud, applaud for you me. after you do an interview? No, no. Something that you mentioned in this book that I had never thought of this, even though I grew up in the Northwest, was that we call it the coast. We yes. do not call it the beach because yes. you write... I say it's to discourage false hopes of a warm, <laughs> sunny day. You know, if you call it the beach, people are going to get images of Mai Tais and yeah. hula dancers, and that is not what Oregon has to no. offer. No. Yeah. No, it's the coast. It's, the it's coast. definitely the coast. Know that it's probably going to be raining at Yahats or wherever yeah. you're going. <laughs> um, but you'll get great Dungeness crab. Yeah. That's right. Um, you write in the book about how in college you were, really, you were in the acapella group, you were really yeah. into theater performance, you thought about maybe being an actor. How did you end up in journalism? That didn't seem like it was something that was on your radar. Not a bit. It was totally random. Like, I was graduating from college and applied to literally everything I could think of because I was an English major and didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I had never taken a journalism class. I had never written for the school paper. I um, applied for Club Med. I applied for the Peace Corps. I applied for an NPR internship. I got rejected for literally everything including the NPR internship, which I, I, I think is important to talk about because if you think failure like is something that doesn't happen to successful people, well, NPR's Ari Shapiro was rejected for an NPR internship. <laughs> yeah. So failure happens to everyone. If you're failing, you're doing it right. Um, and then I found out that Nina Totenberg, the legendary legal affairs correspondent mm -hmm. who remains a good friend and mentor, uh, hires her own interns. So I applied to her, she gave me a job, and I just clung on and never left. And 20-some years later, here I am. We're talking to Ari Shapiro, by the way. His new book is The Best Strangers in the World. Uh, this is Livewire. Uh, it, did you actually try to get a sort of permanent real job in D.C. by cooking an elaborate meal I did. at Nina Totenberg's house? It was Nina's for idea. For like Charles Dingle or something? Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Correct. So my internship was ending. I had no job prospects. Nina knew that I loved to cook and I was living in this teeny little one-room apartment that I shared with a lesbian I found on Craigslist. Um, <laughs> not that part of Craigslist. <laughs> and Nina said, hey, you love to cook and you're looking for a job. Why don't I hire you to throw a dinner party where you'll cook and also be a guest and I'll invite all of these kind of Washington VIPs who could like plausibly offer you a job. So she invited 
Congressman John Dingell before he died, his wife who later took the seat, Debbie Dingell, uh, the former Deputy Attorney General, Jamie Gorelick, like this really impressive list of Washingtonians. I spent all day at Nina's house cooking and then sat down at the dinner table and Nina said, all right, well, this is my intern, Ari. He cooked the food you just ate. He's looking for a job and not as a chef. (laughs) Which one of you is gonna hire him? And there were crickets. (laughs) So I stayed at NPR. I love the idea of imagining Nina recounting that dinner. Congressman Dingle, no comment. (laughs) Okay, so I know you sing with Pink Martini, Mm -hmm. which is an incredibly cool thing and very like... I'll say you're probably one of the only NPR hosts that sings with Pink Martini on a regular basis. It's a pretty cool thing. But I just assumed that, like, you're from Portland, they're from Portland, you're this famous NPR person, they're a famous band, you all came together in your fame. But that is not really yeah. what happened. Like, no. you go way back with yeah, them. Yeah, I, like, I was a fan of theirs when I was in high school. And I became friends with them after college. But... At the point that I started singing with them, I was certainly not famous. Like, I was on the air at NPR as a justice reporter, but I was not, you know, a host of all things considered. Um, This was actually 2008 or 2009. I started singing with the band, like, 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. And... um, I guess Thomas just knew a good investment when he saw one. <laughs> but like, did you you had your first gig with them at the Hollywood yes. Bowl? Yeah, the first time I ever sang live on stage with a band anywhere <laughs> was in front of 18,000 people at the Hollywood Bowl with a band that I had idolized since I was in high school. Uh, so no pressure. Yeah. Uh. How do you, like control your nerves at that point like when somebody once said the key is to get all of the butterflies flapping in the same direction (laughs) which i actually think is a really good way of thinking about it like you don't want the nerves to go away you just want to be able to channel them in a useful Mm -hmm. you know path like funnel the water towards the desired outcome so it doesn't just flood the farmer's plant i'm trying i'm i'm grasping for the metaphor (laughs) i don't know i'm Yeah. You had a pretty outdoorsy experience as a kid around here. The thing that my parents taught me was the more you know about the world, the more interesting life becomes. And so my mother learned about wildflowers and I got into bird watching and my dad would take us mushroom hunting. And like that is a principle that now I apply to my work at All Things Considered because I wake up every day knowing that by the time I go to sleep, I will have learned about something that I didn't know yesterday. And, and it's an extension of that principle that my parents taught me as applied to nature that now I apply to business, politics, arts, science, and everything else that we do on ATC. I think you're sort of, as a uh, radio professional, jumping to my next question, answering it without me even needing to ask it, which is, what is your guiding principle when you go into an interview? What are you hoping to, to accomplish? It just depends so much on the kind of interview I'm doing. You know, if I'm interviewing the head of the Texas legislature about the abortion bill, it's going to be a very different kind of thing from if I'm interviewing Meryl Streep a- about the movie that she's talked about a thousand times already that day. And so the thing that I love about All Things Considered is that I get to do both of those kinds of things and many other sorts of things besides that. I mean, fundamentally, I want a real conversation. I want a moment of connection. I want a moment of insight. I want to get someone off their talking points. But beyond that, each one is pretty unique, which is sort of a wonderful thing about the job, is that it's never the same twice. 
Do you think about the listeners when you're having these these one-on-one conversations with people and you're trying to connect to them? Are the millions of people that are eventually going to be hearing it a part of the exchange? Or do they yeah. come later? There are two ways that I think about the listeners. One is that I want them to be, I want to be a surrogate for them. Like, if I'm witnessing something extraordinary, I want the listener to feel like they are in my shoes. And so in that sense, I kind of want to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to be the center of attention. Um, I want them to imagine that they could be there. And the other way in which I often think about listeners is that I get an opportunity to ask powerful people tough questions that most of our listeners won't have. So to give you an example, I was at the UN Climate Summit in 2021 in Glasgow, Scotland, and I spent most of the week talking to young climate activists from all over the world. And towards the end of the week, I got a sit-down interview with John Kerry, who was President Biden's climate envoy. And in that interview, I played clips for him from some of the young climate activists who I had spoken to from Uganda, from Samoa, from other countries. And I thought, you know, these people, for the most part, are never going to have a chance to ask John Kerry these tough questions, to challenge him, to put these questions to him. And because I do have the opportunity, I have to do right by them and by the millions of All Things Considered listeners who are going to be listening to this saying, but why don't you ask him this thing that they care deeply about that they may never have a chance to ask him about? You've been in war zones. You've been in, you've been in places that are pretty unsafe. You've also sang in front of thousands of people. Is there some way that you relate those two things? Like, and we were talking earlier about, you said, try to have the butterflies all flap in the same direction. Like, when you're about to go on stage and you're feeling nervous, you think, well, it's not Iraq. Or when you're in Iraq, you're like, well, it's not the Hollywood Bowl. Well, I, you know, I think in every instance, if you're doing the best you can do in that moment, it's because you're listening and responding. Whether you're like, you have your antenna out for danger, or whether it's, am I losing the audience? How do I get them back? Or if it's, wait, that person said something that doesn't sound right. I need to challenge and follow up on it. I'm trying to keep my senses of perception wide open to what is actually happening. And so for me as a journalist, whether I'm in a war zone or for me as a performer at the Hollywood Bowl, what I need to do is sort of stay permeable, stay sensitive, stay aware, and react in the moment to what is actually happening as opposed to what I expect will happen or what my preconceived notions were of what would have happened. Yeah, I think you you write in the book that you often tell journalism students if you end up getting the story that you were expecting that you were going to get before you went out, you're doing something wrong. Right, exactly. Yeah, because you go out to find out what's actually happening. And of course, you do your preparation and your homework in advance, so you have some idea, some information. But if you could do it all remotely, then what's the point of actually going there? Right. Why did you want to write a book? Like, what did you want to say in this that you can't say to millions of people over the radio every day? It's something that friends have asked me often over the years, which is, how do you stay optimistic in the face of all the terrible things that are happening in the world? Friends often say, like, you as a journalist talk to people on the worst day of their lives, whether it's a war, a mass shooting, a revolution, a natural disaster, and yet I am optimistic, and I do believe in humanity's basic goodness, and friends find that puzzling. (laughs) And the answer that I have given my friends over the years is a version of what is now this book, which is, I mean, the title sort of says it, The Best Strangers in the World, these people who give me hope, who, as I've gone through my life as a journalist and also as a performer, meeting them has subtly changed who I am. And this is my way of, in a way, kind of like 
it's a, almost like a memoir told through the stories of others, sharing the stories of those who have altered my path, who have stuck with me as I go through life and go through the world and go through my career as a journalist, and, and, and my effort to share that with others. Well, it is a great book. It's The Best Strangers in the World, uh, written by Ari Shapiro, right here on Livewire Radio from PRX. Um, Ari, now, here's the thing. Oh, you... I have to play a game, don't I? You are, of course, one of the hosts of All Things Considered. Uh, we were wondering, though, if there were some things that maybe you wouldn't do. Uh, we want to run an exercise we're calling Some Things Considered. Oh. All right. I'm ready. All right. Ari Shapiro, would you consider participating in Portland's Naked Bike Ride? Oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. I thought, um, would you consider reading an underwriting message from Tushy Bidet Company? Oh, sure. Please. <laughs> Come on, Luke. Yeah, no problem. As a gay man, I think we need to normalize butt stuff. Ari, right, would you consider... Competing on The Masked Singer. No. No. If I'm going to sing, I want credit. I want my face to show. <laughs> That's a good point. Now, would I be a judge or a host? Absolutely. Oh, okay. Would you consider buying NPR Music a bigger desk? The current one is... <laughs> I consider Bob Boylan a good friend, uh -huh. and I think if I offered to buy him a larger desk, he would, he would think of it as such a slap in the face, mm -hmm. he might never speak to me again. Ooh. So no. There's a great story from about how that you know, NPR Tiny Desk thing came around. When you and I worked there together, Ari, Bob yes. was the director of All Things Considered, yeah. meaning the person who picks the songs that are gonna you know, happen before and after interviews and stuff. And remember his office was just stacks of CDs. CDs, yes. He just was like, and that's really what he cared about was the music, yeah. and, then, and then he had well, this little Program and they got doing. more letters asking what the music between segments was than anything else. Which was hurtful for Robert Siegel, I believe. Uh, surely. And in the early days of the internet, Bob Boylan created All Songs Considered, which started out as just almost like a mixtape every week mm -hmm. of some of the stuff that he was playing between segments, and then it evolved from there. And they would have bands that were going to, to do other things just stand in front of his actual desk and yeah. play a song. Wow. Yeah. And thus, the, the tiny desk was born. Um, Ari Shapiro, would you consider introducing Nina Totenberg as Totes Magoats sometime, just because it would be funny? Depends on the audience. <laughs> on all things considered, no. But if Nina were making an appearance on Livewire, mm -hmm. I would 100% say, please welcome Totes Magoats. That's how you play Some Things Considered with Ari Shapiro, everyone. Thank you so much. That was Ari Shapiro right here on Livewire, Ari's new book, The Best Strangers in the World, Stories from a Life Spent Listening, is available now. And, of course, you can always hear him on All Things Considered. Hey, special thanks this episode of Livewire to Mary Felice Crow of Portland, Oregon. Mary, if you don't know, is part of the Livewire member community and generously supports our show with a donation each month. And we are really thankful for that support because it is what genuinely allows us to keep Livewire rolling on. So, Mary, thank you so much. 
for supporting the show. This is Livewire. As we like to do each week, we've asked our listeners a question. Based on Ari's book about all these people that he's interviewed over the years, we wanted to know about the best stranger that our listeners had ever met. Elena has been collecting up those responses. What are you seeing? Here's one from Sarah. Sarah says, a friend bailed on me for a concert. And so I resold her ticket online and I ended up sitting next to the person who bought it and we got to chatting and we had so much in common that we decided to stay in touch. Four years later, she's become one of my best friends. Love you, Emily. <laughs> that's great. Isn't that I awesome? mean, that's a real life lesson to just be open to the universe and new people and new experiences. I feel like the older I get, the more kind of shut down I get around having to interact, you know, maybe with somebody sitting next to me at a concert who I don't already know. Yeah. But that's an example of how great that can be. Yeah, you already have one thing in common because you're both there to see the same artist. Uh, Who's another great stranger that one of our listeners met? Okay, I love this one from David. David says, it was around midnight. I had a flat on the freeway, a spare, but no jack. All of a sudden, a young man pulled over in a pickup truck, and he not only had a jack, but he insisted on changing the tire. I offered to pay him, but he refused. And I asked him where he was going. He said he just cruises around to see if people need help. That almost sounds mythic. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, you know, I grew up in the church, and there was versions of that story always going around Gospel Outreach Christian Fellowship, Mm -hmm. that it would be like, and then I went down to the house where the person lived. They told us they've been dead for years. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of like kind of angelic miracle-like stories that I grew up with, but sounds like this might have been a real flesh and blood human being who helped that listener out. Okay, one more quick one before we get out of here. Oh, I love this one from Ted. Ted was visiting his son, who is in a college town working part-time at a restaurant. And they were walking to dinner. And according to Ted, his son said, let's cut through here, through the alley, which made Ted nervous. And then Ted saw a figure near the other end who was getting up and walking toward Ted and his son. And Ted says he had clearly spent more time outside than inside. Mm -hmm. But then Ted's son said, hey, Rob, how you doing? And then the guy smiled and said, yeah, man, I'm good. How are you doing? Is this your dad? And then (laughs) Ted's son introduced the two men. And Ted says, the man grabbed my hand in both of his, slapped me on the shoulder and said, great job, man. And then as they were walking away, Ted's son said, that's Rob. We feed him at the restaurant sometimes. Ted says, my favorite stranger in that story was my son. So much of what I'd hoped for him came true, and I didn't even know it. Wow. I know. That was a beautiful story. Thank you to everyone who sent in your responses. We've got a listener question for next week's show that uh, we will bring your way in just a few moments. First, though, let's introduce our next guest. In fact, you know what? Maybe we'll just use his Instagram bio to introduce Demi Adigi eBay. Here's what it says. Demi Adigi eBay is a director, comedian, writer. And then it just says, insert silly for thing as a joke. <laughs> he's written on the TV show The Good Place as well as for the Marvel Universe. Lately, he's been working on the Apple Plus animated series Strange Planet. And of course, he also made those incredibly elaborate 21st of September videos that got millions of views. Now, we recorded this conversation with Demi during the current writer's strike, which pits the Writers Guild of America against the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers. And we're going to hear more about that during this conversation with Demi, recorded at the Alberta Rose Theater right here in Portland. Take a listen. Hello. Hi, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's so nice to be here. 
Um, so we were talking uh, in the green room, and you said you decided to do like the most Portland thing ever, which was bike yes. to the show. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, because as soon as I walked out here, I was like, they're going to see how sweaty I am, and we'll have to address it. So yes, uh, I did bike here. Uh, thank God you guys can see it, and everyone at home has just got to imagine. It's not mm-hmm. that bad, if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> But you live in L.A. most of the time. What is more time-consuming, being a writer uh, in Hollywood or being a striking writer and going to the picket line? I, I would say the only way that uh, being a striking writer is more consuming is that having the free time means you just get crazy and you start doing things. It's like you're solving problems you don't have to solve. Really? Where it's like I'm just like, mm, I don't like these doors. I'm going to install new doors. And it's like, don't you write. You do not do home improvement. Don't do that. Uh, but I, I, I do miss being in a room and feeling like the time that you're spending is constructive and communal. And I feel like going out on the strike lines is so nice because it does just feel like you're seeing all these people and just being like, oh, it feels like like going to camp for a little bit, but it also has the vibes of like the beginning of the pandemic where you're like, we can do this forever. And then you're like, uh, uh, well. Right. <laughs> Let's not test that. Yeah. I was wondering if that isn't like a very small silver lining to this for, for WGA members, which is, you know, you're all physically together out on these picket lines and you're meeting people from other shows and other projects that you would have never otherwise. Is there a solidarity in that? Absolutely. And I, I think it's very fitting because I, I think a lot of what the WGA is fighting for right now is the idea to preserve writing as a communal medium and not a thing that's just sort of sourced out to like a small room of people who are meeting on Zoom for a couple of weeks that then uh, one person is going to write all of. And I feel like a lot of people don't get involved in the production of their own work anymore. And it's very, I was on a show just before the strike where I was one of two writers that got to be on set for the show despite having eight writers that were in the room. And it's like a lot of those people don't get experience of being on production and producing their own episodes. And it's like a lot of people don't get to meet other writers because of that or don't get like involved in the process. And so getting to be out on the strike lines and being like, here's this big group of people who all want to do the same thing, sharing their experiences, sharing their like the, the things that their horror stories and whatnot. It feels very like enriching and communal. And it's, it's the same feeling as going to a writer's room and feeling like you're messing around and being like, this is part of the process of creating, uh, which I think dies down a lot now with uh, the stuff that we are trying to stop with the strike. But I mean, would it be accurate to say that the way the industry is, is trying to move and with the streaming and all that is that being a professional writer of like television will not really be a job anymore or not a job someone can make their living at? That's definitely the case if the AMPTP gets their way. It's hard because I think there are a lot of people who will make a living in this and do make a living in this and it's like people sort of go like what but writers get paid a lot of money and it's hard to sort of argue that they don't because a lot of us do but I think it's that same thing of like you're hearing from the top 10% of writers and seeing them as the shining example of what everyone is. But the truth is, is like there's such a low barrier to entry. There, is, there are assistants and script supervisors and like low-level staff writers who do not get paid that much and are required to do more work than is supposed to be required at their level. And it's like mm-hmm. you're at a certain point where like you don't want to say no to work that is supposed to be good for your career but also doesn't result in you getting the advantages that you used to be able to get at that level. I do feel like when the bottom starts dying out, like a lot of people are just like, well, but Chuck Lorre makes five million a year. Right. It's like, yeah, Chuck Lorre will be fine. We're not fighting for Chuck Lorre. Uh, but it, it, That's I, the I, guy that made the Big Bang Theory. In right. Case I, I said that like, we all know Chuck Lorre. I, I don't know where I am. Um, yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the people, too, who are in these beginning, like the script supervisor positions, or maybe it's their first year yeah. on the team, are part of this movement to 
have a lot better representation in TV and, yes. and have all these different voices. So they're the ones that you want in TV more than anything, right? Absolutely. But they're the ones who maybe aren't going to be able to make a living because they they haven't made it to the upper echelon before these these things have started totally. changing. And I, I keep saying that uh, I feel like people are like, what are you fighting for? And it's like, I'm not fighting for myself. I'm fighting for the idea of like the next generation of writers, the people who like are being forced into smaller rooms and not getting paid as much because they're being told like, oh, just write the stuff first and then we'll green light it and then maybe you'll get a chance. Or like, and I want to just clarify again, when you say smaller rooms, those are writers' rooms, yeah, oh, right. yes. not just like a small room it, that people are being held are in. Smaller. Right, right. They're, they're putting us all in just like what boxes. Right. Um, no, but like in uh, in rooms where it's like there are less uh, writers on a project, but they're like, hey, you have uh, 10 weeks and four people to write 10 scripts of a season of television, which is like, you're not going to get good TV that way. They're being like, we support diversity and we're going to bring in diverse uh, writers, but then giving them low orders or being like, okay, we can only afford to pay half of you the rate that you wanted. So here's the cap. If you can't take it, it's fine. We'll pay someone else. It's just like, as diversity gets bigger in the industry, uh, it's no coincidence that like tech giants have come in and started being like, okay, well, how do we make this a lot cheaper? And how do we, you know, get the credit of doing the things that people seem to say that they want us to do, but also not have to put in the work or the finance to like actually support these things or see them through because they're like risk averse. You're listening to Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We are talking to comedian, creator, and writer and current member of the WGA, which is on strike, Demi Adigi eBay. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to hear a special love song from Demi, which is not not affected by the fact that he's going through a breakup. Not, not at all. So don't go anywhere. More live wire coming up. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season, formerly known as Tea Chai Tay. Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest, and they make one of a kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream earl grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. All right, before we hear a little music from Demi Digi eBay, let's give you a preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to writer and reporter Casey Parks about her new book, Diary of a Misfit. In it, she chronicles what it was like for her to come out to her family in Louisiana. Also, her journey to try to learn more about the life of a trans man named Roy Hudgens, who'd once been her grandma's best friend. It's sort of part memoir. It's part uh, journalistic saga. Uh, We're also going to get some music from the very talented singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Thunderstorm Artiste. He broke into the spotlight as a finalist on season 18 of The Voice. And we're going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question. Lena, what are we asking folks for next week's show? We want you to tell us about a mystery that you are still trying to solve. Okay. True crime, very popular these days. I'm hoping these (laughs) mysteries are maybe more in the banal department. More in the missing sock department. Banal but interesting. That's the goal here on Livewire. That's really our marching (laughs) order. So if you've got an answer to that question, go ahead and hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. We're at Livewire 
Radio. Speaking of Livewire Radio, that's what you're listening to right now. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. Also, we're talking to Demi Adigi eBay. Now, before that break, we were talking about the writer's strike, and we also wanted to find out what Demi's been up to since he's not spending all his time writing television. We're going to hear about that. Plus, Demi will present us with a very special love song written for his ex-girlfriend. Take a listen to this. Now, amidst the the strike and all the other things you have going on, I noticed on Instagram you have made time. Which, by the way, I want to clarify, is nothing. Because of the strike, I'm not doing anything. Well, you're, right, going, right. Well, you're right. going to a renaissance fair. Yes. That's what is, I saw on Instagram. Yeah, that's the level of uh, what, work we're at right where, now. Where, why, how... I don't know when this happened, but I feel like there's been this shift in so much stuff that as a kid was like shorthand for nerd stuff that now is like, well, all the cool kids are going to the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> okay. And I'm just like, I feel like it was this year, like I, I just saw on Instagram, like everyone's at the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> Where was the Renaissance Fair in LA? It's like 40 minutes outside of LA. It's also, it's called the Renaissance Pleasure Fair, which I never fully under, <laughs> no one clarified why. <laughs> I don't like it as a name. I didn't. That sounds like they're trying to sell more tickets. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I guess it worked because everyone was at the pleasure fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was really fun. It felt like going to ye old Disneyland. <laughs> I, I was truly just like, I said, I went there with the goal of like, I'm going to get a turkey leg. And then when we got there, it was just like, well, you can also get meat. And I was like, oh, right. There's all sorts of medieval foods and like all sorts of medieval games and all these things. And it's just a blast. Did you joust or anything? No. <laughs> they, won't, they don't let me hold the big sword. <laughs> Did you have to dress up at all? Was this a was this cosplay type of event? You don't have to, but I certainly did. <laughs> uh, I, it's, so, unfortunately, with an event like this, when I hear that I'm going with friends and we're all like, we're going to dress up, I start thinking, great, here's the guideline of what we're supposed to do. What is the weirdest thing I could do within that guideline? And uh, I thought, okay, well, I could go as Martin Lawrence's character from Black Knight, yes. which is just a jersey. And everyone be like, that's not Renaissance anymore. I'd be like, ah, 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 but it is. <laughs> uh, I could dress like someone going to Beyonce's Renaissance uh, ah, show. Sure. And I eventually just settled on getting a giant cloak that I could sweat underneath and pretend to be a friar. I was going <laughs> to shave my head, but I was like, no, I, I spent so long growing out this hair, I'm not going to do it. Good. <laughs> that was the right decision. Thank you. Um. Demi, you are such a talented uh, performer, along with being a writer. The last time you were here on the show, um, you sang the Christmas song that none of us knew we needed, but we sure did. I believe it was called uh, Rock and Roll Santa. That's Mm -hmm. correct. And I understand that you have prepared another song from the heart. Yes. For us. Really, just really, you know, from the chambers of my heart here. What, um, what's, I, the, um, what's the song about? So, uh, it's a little bit of a setup for this. I recently went through a breakup. Oh, I'm Aww. sorry. Oh, it's fine. But uh, in, the process of, in the process of the relationship, I was like, uh, I wanted to write a song for them to express how I felt about them. And I never got a chance to perform it for them. So I figured I don't want it to go to waste. Mm. I'd love to perform it tonight. Do you want to hear that from Demi Adigi eBay? All right. I really wanted you to be playing a lute from the Renaissance Fair. <laughs> I, I again, if I if I'd known that was the case, I'd be like, okay, I'll show up with a whole medieval right. merry band of right. misfits. Does this um does this song have a, a title? Uh, no, but I guess you could call it. Uh, Lucky, maybe. Okay. I didn't really get as far as title. I was just like, well, the song is written. We were dealing with a lot of heartbreak, so. Mm -hmm. I'm dealing with so much right now. (laughs) (laughs) This is Demi Adigi eBay here on Livewire.
Never been the blessed type Plagued with constant blunder Fallen far more times than I have stood But ever since you first walked by My life has been filled with wonder Fell in love with you And now the falling feels so good Because you turned my scary thunderstorms To a gorgeous rainbow Make the three-leaf clovers feel like four My greatest dreams have all come true And I love standing next to you Though you smell just like cat pee And you snore <laughs> Your voice still gives me butterflies In every intonation Like when you say don't write that cat pee I swear, my heart is yours and that's my vow I love the way you scrunch your brow When I play the professionally recorded final version And the cat pee line is still there We've been together for so long and you're still curious Like when you ask me why I wrote that Knowing you smell fine I know you've got good hygiene I just chose that for the rhyme scheme Then you point out the cat pee part Is not the part that rhymes I love you when you're happy, and I love you when you're not. I love you when you're mad, you've heard the song play at a bar. I love you when you try to smash my instruments in protest. And I love you when you fail to find my mini-sized guitar. I love you when you stop me as I leave you in the morning. I always want to stay, I hate to go. You ask me what I'm doing next And I say I'm off to PDX To sing the song live on the radio <laughs> Sing it on live wire radio I hope this isn't sappy You make me so, so happy Gonna say you smell like cat pee on the radio Demi Adigi eBay right here on Livewire. That was the multi-talented Demi Adigi eBay right here on Livewire. Of course, he and other WGA members are currently on strike. We are very much hoping there's a fair resolution to all of that just around the corner so we can get back to watching that scripted television that we all love so much. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Ari Shapiro and Demi Adigi-Ebay. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. And our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by Daniel Blake. Trey Hester is our assistant editor. Rosa Garcia is our operations associate. Tanvi Kumar is our production fellow, and Julian McElmurray is our intern. Our house band is Ethan Fox Tucker, Sam Tucker, A.L. Alves, and A. Walker Spring, who also composes our music. Additional funding provided by the Marie Lamprum Charitable Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Mary Felice Crow of Portland, Oregon. 
more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to LiveWireRadio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole LiveWire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.